Let us turn again to that part of God's word that we read, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 4, and we may look again at verse 11. Philippians chapter 4 at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We have Paul here to the uh, Philippians, thanking God for them in the opening chapter, praying for them and desiring their perfection. We can see how great his love is for them in verse 1 here. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He exhorts them to unity, Eudius and Syntyche, to be of one mind in the Lord. And uh, part of this, and very uh, rejoicing and moderation, and a part of the, that which will keep their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus is that they should not be uh, taken up with discontent, anxiety. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. They should be looking to the God of peace, the peace of God which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. And verse 9, the God of peace shall be with you. And he's thankful for the, uh, the gift that they're given to him, the care that he mentions in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. He was thankful for that, but not so much because of want, as he says, not that I speak in respect of want. It wasn't so much that his need that he was thinking of but the uh, fruit that, that, that uh, it, it indicated, uh, verse 14, notwithstanding you've done well that you did uh, communicate with my affliction. Verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So Paul here is, we might say, looking beyond the immediate to the spiritual. He has his immediate needs. Uh, he doesn't deny that. He's, uh, in verse 13, hunger, suffering, need. He has these things, and he's glad when uh, God in his providence supplies his need, and he's glad when he does it through the Philippians. But especially, it is that spiritual work that underlies it. It's a spiritual fruit, the working of the Spirit in the heart of these people. Well, something similar is uh, needed in the matter that we want to speak about, which is the matter of contentment and discontentment of, as it were, rising above the immediate circumstances to look to the hand of God. And when we think, start to think about it, we realize how much uh, discontentment has to do with sin. It, it is, it's true to say, it is, it is discontented people who sin. Well, discontent is at the root, I think, of every sin. It's fundamental to sin. You might say that people are... Uh, they, their souls are not at rest unless they 
engage in that sin. They're drawn in such a way, they're unsettled in such a way that they move in the direction of sin. There's there's something in the heart that spurs them on. And it's this matter of peace then in the heart. And it's a hard lesson. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Well, as we all know, this is not an easy lesson at all to learn, an exceedingly hard lesson. But it's something that we need to think about. The uh, contentment, I suppose we might say, is accepting the providence of God, the care of God. As it's put there in verse 6, be careful for nothing, but uh, let your requests be made known unto God, casting your cares upon him, because he careth for you. And it is not discontent, or contentment is not, uh, it doesn't mean uh, that we don't desire things, that is unlawful, it's not forbidding the desire of uh, things in this world and the use of lawful means to attain them. That's not a, it's not a, a discontent, to discontentment to uh, want something in this world and to seek, to seek to obtain it. But it is the underlying spirit, the heart underlying that, whether that heart is at peace with God in the matter. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's would seem to be the, the, the key to it. It's that communion with Christ, resting upon Christ and learning to rest upon Christ continually. Not, not only intermittently, but continually. Paul had learned that lesson. It's a lesson that, that we need to learn, every one of us. Maybe those among us who do not do not rest upon Christ at all, a heart, a heart then totally discontented in this world, and others who do not rest upon Him sufficiently and continually. Well, you probably know there's a, a, a book on this subject of discontentment or contentment. I think it's called the the Divine Art of Contentment, or by uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson. FP publication, a whole book on this verse. So there's a great deal to be said on this subject. But we will endeavor just to touch on a few things. So what we have is that Christians are to be content. Paul was content. And we're to uh, learn of him, verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So they were to see the fact that he was, he'd learned to be content and they were to be followers of him in, in that matter, endeavoring to rule their own spirits. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, we want to think about four matters. First of all, that sinners are discontented. Think about the connection between discontentment and sin. Secondly, that Christ was content when he was here in this world. Thirdly, that Paul, as we see, was content. And fourthly, that Christians are to be content or endeavor to be content. Firstly, then, that sinners are not content. Sin has, uh, discontentment has much to do with sin. You can see that if we go back to the first sin in the Garden of Eden, 
And while I don't think it's possible to, as it were, it's not beyond the human mind to understand the entrance of sin into the world, and great people have tried it in the past, how can that which is perfect somehow suddenly in a moment uh, break into something that is, is sinful? But whatever it is, we can say that discontentment was there very early on. Eve, Eve became discontented with her present situation. She saw that it was a fruit to be desired to make one wise. She knew the prohibition that uh, they were not to eat of that tree because in the day that they did so, they would die. She knew that. But she saw at the same time a, uh, there was a desire. She had a, it was to be desired and uh, in some way a discontentment with the uh, divine law, the, the prohibition rose up in her heart and discontentment with her circumstances. She couldn't be content just to leave the fruit, let it, let it hang there in, in its beauty, and, uh, but no, she must reach out a hand and take it. So discontentment is right there in the very heart of sin. And when we think about the uh, sort of sins that are, that are around us in the world and that in our own hearts, we can see that they're all involving discontentment one way or another. Many sins consist in uh, seeking after things that God absolutely forbids. He forbids certain things and uh, people are not content to be debarred from these things. They want them. David was forbidden. The, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, she was another man's wife. I shall not commit adultery, but he was not could not, could not be uh, content with that. A discontent led to that great sin and then all the troubles that, uh, that flowed from it. Sometimes it's the, the uh, desiring of things that are forbidden and other times it is not, it's not the desiring of things that are forbidden but it is the uh, seeking of them in a way that God has not appointed it's an impatience with God. God will, he, know, he knows the needs of his people. That's something that's brought out again and again. And here, that uh, my God shall supply all your needs. Your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. He knows what the needs of his people are. And they allowed, as we said, the use of lawful means to the attaining of these matters. And... Uh, but they are also to be praying at the same time by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God has provided, he's provided means. We're not, we're not, it's part of our purpose in this world to use these things. He's given us strength, ability, uh, intelligence, understanding, and not, not just one, the whole human race in that way. And we're to use these means to the attaining of the end, and we're to use them prayerfully. We're to recognize his hand. He is, the, he is the God of providence. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, and he can, uh, he can uh, bless these things or frustrate them. And many times he does. And uh, 
the children of Israel, when they were, they, were, they were in the path of duty in one way, when they entered into the promised land, God was with them. But in some respects, they departed from it. And though they were much stronger than some of the small towns that they went against, yet they were defeated by them. But because uh, of the, the providence of God and the, uh, teaching them about their sins. So the things may be lawful, but we may not be going about them in a right way. Or maybe, maybe our, our desire for them is excessive. We we're not, we're not, haven't yet learned to wait, to, to wait upon God. And uh, that then is a part of the discontent, learning to wait, learning to rule our spirits in that way, wait, waiting his time. So there are uh, things that are sinful and things that are sinful in themselves, things that are desired sinfully. And then there are many other sins that simply arise out of a discontented state of heart. It's because the heart is already discontented that a great many things are done in this world. So the whole uh, vandalism and these sorts of, I might say, point, pointless sins of that sort, sins which are no great advantage to the person committing them, but are uh, uh, troublesome to others, come out of a, a heart uh, wishing to express its, its uh, discontent with its present state. There's an anger there that breaks out. And, uh, well, a, a whole host of sins from the from the, least, from the least to the greatest, come, come out of that, come out of the restlessness and the anger and the bitterness of the human heart. And uh, Paul himself had been driven on by these things. This was the motive, really, that was driving him on in the, in the persecution of the Christians. It was the discontent that he found in his own heart. He was uh, pursuing a certain sort of religion with all the zeal of his uh, spirit, and the Lord God had given him, a, as we would think, a very s- strong uh, character, a great, a great determination, a very great determination. But his mind was blinded at that stage. The God of this world had blinded his mind, so that the light of the glorious gospel it did not at that stage shine unto him. And he was pursuing Righteousness, in a way, not, not appointed by God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. But the Jews, refusing to receive God's righteousness, went about to establish their own righteousness. And Paul was doing that. He was seeking to establish his own righteousness. And we would gather from the seventh chapter of the Romans that God was starting to point out to him uh, his failure in that regard. He couldn't. He couldn't attain to perfection. And so there was a... At, the, at his very heart, there was a discontent with him, himself, and he was alienated from the life of God. And there was a, an anger there. And he was taking it out against the Christians and against, as far as he could, against the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
because of the bitterness of his own heart, because of the fact that he couldn't attain to that righteousness himself. And he tells us in Romans chapter 7 that it was the Tenth Commandment that convicted him in this matter. He says, I had not known uh, sin except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. It was that, it was that commandment of the law that brought, uh, brought home to him his failure in the pursuit of righteousness. Of course, when he came to a better understanding of the law, a spiritual understanding of the law, he realized that all the other commands that he thought that he was fulfilling, he wasn't. But it was that tenth commandment that was, in a sense, uh, blessed to him, or at least used by God as an arrow of conviction to trouble his soul. And uh, the tenth commandment, as we it requires, as the catechisms tell us, of a full contentment with our own condition. Thou shalt not covet. Be not desiring these things, thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, his ox and his ass, his manservant and his maidservant, or anything that is thy neighbor's, to be content, not to be envious. Probably that was there in Paul as well, that these Christians, he was envious of their claims of peace and their claims of communion with God and they seem to have much really to have much closer communion with God than he did because to him God was the unknown God but to them he was the known God the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ so he was not content and uh, he did what he could he endeavored to bring his heart into obedience and he found that he could not do that Sin revived and I died. The discontent in his heart, that's the nature of uh, the sin in the heart, the unregenerate heart, is that the the more closely you you press the law upon it, the the more strongly the heart rebels. The law is at a distance and the heart may be at some sort of appearance of peace, but when you press down the law of God upon the uh, sinful heart of man, and the, the power of sin becomes immense in the heart. The refusal, the refusal to uh, submit, to subject itself to the law of God at, at any cost. Well, Paul, Paul found that turmoil in his soul. And uh, that was driving him on. They're not content to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem. He was driven on like a... A madman, one might say, to persecute the Christians in Damascus as well. So discontent lies behind uh, sin. It, it leads to sin. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it leads to a great deal of sin in our own day. So he's saying that we're a very discontented nation. And people are ready to... Uh, uh, easily stirred up, and we see we see that with um, particularly with Islam seems to be particularly uh, discontented and volatile and ready to uh, break out into violence. But it's the, the other uh, parts of the British nation as well now that are in the same way. So the need, the need then, and for, for Christians to be content and to be setting an example to others those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. 
So to come on to the second matter, the Lord Jesus Christ was content. We think about him as the great pattern in these things, the, the, the uh, example of perfection, the man Christ Jesus, to walk even as he walked. Well, Christ was content when he was here in this world, and we were seeing those words in the psalm, Psalm 16, a messianic psalm. The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. The expression of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ towards his present circumstances here in this world. Well, he was the eternal son of God. He was and is the eternal son of God. And we might say that his home was the the blessedness of heaven. That was was the... uh, where he was from eternity, the Son of Man, which is in the bosom of the Father, and not in the evils and sorrows of this world, but in the blessedness of heaven. That was where his home was. And yet he was came down here into this world, being found in fashion as a man, came into the world. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and while Christ was here, living as the, the Lord's servant, he was content. And uh, there, are many, there are many things that might uh, serve to make Christ discontented. In, in a way, when we talk about contentment and discontentment, we see that we have to be somewhat careful with words, because contentment doesn't mean, as we see when we look at the example of Christ, it doesn't mean not being grieved with sinners. We know that Christ was grieved with sinners. I beheld transgressors and was grieved. And if we're not grieved with the sight of sin, well, then we're certainly not Christians. We're not, we don't have the mind of Christ. We don't have the law of God written in our hearts. If we're not, if we're not opposed to sin and hostile to it and dis- distressed by it, as that which is uh, contrary to God and uh, harmful to man, destructive to man in every way. Well, Christ uh, was grieved by sin and uh, he saw it all around him in the world. And yet at the same time, uh, that was the great purpose for which he'd come into the world, was to save his people from their sins. While he was at war with sin and he'd come for the destruction of sin, that he might destroy the works of the devil, yet while he was here in this world, he was at peace. He was at peace. He was in communion with God. He uh, continually, continual communion with heaven, God looking upon them, and he went about doing good. And the peace of God, that way, was ruling in his heart, he speaks of my peace I give unto you. And when not only the uh, uh, insult to God or the, the affront to God that there is in sin, but the, the harm to man, the harm to his own people. Christ had come to his own people. He, lo- he loved his nation. Paul loved his nation. Christ loved his nation. We, all, we, ought, we ought to love our nation. 
There's part of it, what God has given to us. I would love every man, but there are some people that are, as it were, in, in God's providence, are closer to, other, to us than others. Our families and wider circle, our town perhaps, our, and our nation, and we, should, we have a, should have a special loyalty to that. It's not wrong that it should be so. Well, Christ was sent especially to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he, we see in the great injury that they were doing to themselves and to one another through their sin and their unbelief. And it stirred compassion in his heart. He had compassion upon them because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. So there may be grief for sin and there may be, may be a, a compassion and a sorrow for poor sinners caught up in sin. And yet at the same time, there may be the peace of God in the heart. And uh, Christ uh, saw the unbelief of his people, of his fellow countrymen. He marveled at their unbelief, and particularly their unbelief uh, directed to himself. He came unto his own, and his own uh, received him not. He was the Messiah, and we would say he was evidently the Messiah. He, wasn't, he hadn't appeared in the outward pomp that they were anticipating, but as far as the, the words and the miracles were concerned, which he uh, draws attention, his word and, and, and his works, it was evident to, to the, the least, to the man born blind, that he was sent by God. When Messiah cometh, will he do, do more works than this man? But uh, these people would not uh, receive him. And we're told, especially in that connection, that Christ at that time rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them unto babes. Well, these people were going away to destruction. If they rejected him, they were, they were, uh, part, they were part, part of that generation going to destruction. Christ wept over Jerusalem. There may be that. There may be a grief for the, uh, those who are going to destruction. And at the same time, there may be a peace in the soul. I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, resting in the providence of God. And one other thing that Christ had, and that was the terrible prospect ahead of his own sufferings. He was as a, as a a man ready to die from his youth up. He come, in, come into this world for this very purpose and uh, to offer himself without spot unto God. And wherever he read in the Old Testament the things concerning himself, it was of the sufferings of Christ and also of the glory that should follow. Messiah was to be cut off well, he knew these things, that the, uh, the, those words, the end of Psalm 16 that we didn't sing on this occasion, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And he knew, he knew that applied to himself. Whatever exactly it means, the soul in hell and the holy one to see corruption, it was himself that was being spoken of by those words. What a shadow that cast over him. And yet he was 
content. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. He was content here in this world. So Christ is the great pattern to us. And uh, he's, this is the, there is the divinity there, undisturbed by all these things. And with uh, Christ, the eternal Son of God, and as far as his uh, Godhead is concerned, none of, none of these things uh, bring the least spot to it. He's, he is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The eternal Son of God, an eternal blessedness. As far as his divinity is concerned, nothing in this world touches the blessedness of God. God hates sin. God is angry with sin. God sees it all. But in one uh, point of view, his blessedness continues. He is far above all these things. What can we do against him? Job says, what, what can we do? He's beyond our reach. We cannot fire our arrows up to heaven. The eternal blessedness, the God, the Father, God, the Son, the uh, God, the Father, delighting in God, the Son. Then was I by him as one brought up with, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Well, Christ had that. But then there's the humanity as well. But there's a contentment there, notwithstanding all these other things. There is the peace of God ruling in the heart. And uh, it's a, it was a, a, a recognition of the providence of God. It's this, it is, it is, this world is God's world. And he created it, and he has ordained everything, everything that is going to happen and does happen, every single thing. And he is, he is good, and he's doing good. And even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. This is what God has appointed and uh, in due time, uh, where God will uh, uh, supply the needs of his people. So we're not, we're, that doesn't preclude the, the use of uh, means. It may be that he's, God is going to supply their needs by, by their, they themselves getting up and doing something, as it were, to supply that need. That may be the very uh, way in which God is going to supply it. Or there may be some other way. And you can see in the life of uh, Christ that the special work that was appointed to him was the preaching of the gospel and the working of the miracles and what you might think of as the lesser uh, events of life, the out, some of the outward events of life, were simply left to providence. When the uh, donkey was uh, required, the uh, ass and the colt, the foal of an ass was required on which he should ride in Jer Jerusalem, that is left to the providence of God that the disciple, let Peter, John, whichever it was, go to such a place and there he will uh, find the animal that God has provided and loose the coat and let it go and uh, bring it and that will be the one that is needed. It's not the uh, concern of the Son of God. My God shall supply all your need. When an upper room is needed in Jerusalem in the midst of the feast, when we're told it was exceedingly crowded and very difficult to get one. Well, go to such a place and ask a man and say that uh, where is the uh, chamber where, where they were to eat the Passover? The God, God reserves a place for his 
people. Or when a tomb is required, that uh, Christ makes no provision at all in that matter. Where, where his body is to be buried, uh, that, that was, that was were le- left to others. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea appears at that moment and uh, provides for him, my God shall supply all your need. Other things, higher things committed to Christ and to be an example to us. And so it must be in our lives. There are things that we, we don't have the uh, strength or the wisdom or the uh, breadth to uh, consider everything in life. There are many things that we simply have to leave to God. We can't, or over which we have no control. But your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ then was content when he was here in this world. But thirdly, we want to think about Paul being content. I have learned to be content. Well, a hard lesson, as we've said. And he could look back, and uh, one thing with which he was now content was with his uh, sinful past, in a way. He was reconciled to that. He understood now the purpose of it. It's a one of the difficulties. Perhaps it's easier, easier for the heart to understand than for the mind to explain how at the same time we may be sorry for our sins and reconciled to them. We, we must be sorry for our sins and there must be a hatred of sin. But at the same time, the, the sins and the sins of believers are part of the providence of God. They are things that God has appointed from eternity to, and to, to learn from these things. And Paul could look back at that former part of his life and he could see now from his uh, present perspective that there was a purpose in it. He, indeed, he says he's, he was a pattern. God had appointed him to be a pattern for them that should hereafter believe in his uh, going, going far into uh, persecution and so on of the saints of God and then that extraordinary uh, outward experience that he had on the road to Damascus that, and yet unique in one way and yet typical in another because it's what, what happened to Paul outwardly there in a way is what happens to every Believer, at the time of his conversion, God shines in the heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a mighty illumination of the mind, an understanding uh, imparted to the soul. There's not an outward light, but a spiritual light shining in the heart. And Paul, in a way, is, is like Samson. Samson... Uh, commits those things outwardly that are going on in the heart what you might say enormous sins outwardly Delilah and so on the folly of Samson and yet that's what the heart is like warned again and again and uh, the, 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 so the warning so plain and obvious that one would have to be a, a fool of the highest order not to recognize them we can all see what's going to happen to Samson, and yet we look into our own hearts, and the very same folly is taking place there. Well, Paul, in his 
as we say, determination against God, pursuit of uh, after per- the persecution of Christ. That's an aspect of every man's heart of fierceness against the truth until Christ brings it into subjection. But Paul could look back to that. He was a pattern, the chief of sinners. God had had a purpose in these things, in the wisdom of God. And uh, now it was useful to Paul. It spurred him on. To, or after all the harm he had done, he'd, he was a, a debtor to the uh, Jews and to the Greeks, to the wise and to the unwise, to help them all to build those things which once he had destroyed. So he was at peace with in that matter. He was content that the Lord had brought him in his own wise and holy way. He was content with his present work that God had given to him, that Christ had given to him. And it was a life of suffering that he, to which he'd been called from, from the very beginning. He said, I show him, I must show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's what Paul was called to. Was it to be an apostle, that it was to, to be uh, uh, very brought very low, made the offscouring of all things. As he says, the apostles had to suffer more than others. They weren't exalted very high in that way. They were brought very low. I've learned how to be abased, he says, and I know how to abound. He'd learned that, to be regarded in that way, to be hated by his own fellow countrymen desiring to murder him, seeking to murder him, binding themselves under a most solemn oath that they should have an opportunity to murder him. That was how they regarded Paul. But he was content with this. I've learned to be content. To be content with the uh, unreasonable hatred of others. To be content with the, the, uh, the slander on every side, the deliberate misunderstanding and twisting of words, to be content with all these things, to live with them all, and not to be perturbed in the soul as a result, to be, as it were, sorry for the people, sorry for them, sorry for their souls, sorry for the uh, effect that Satan is having in their hearts, praying for them, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, Paul had learned to do that. He was content with the persecution. He was content with the work that was given to him. Content with the preaching of the gospel. It was a very happy work to him. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To, To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It was not grievous. He didn't find the work of the gospel uh, wearisome to in the proclamation of Christ. Not at all. It was a, a pleasant work, a happy work. The lines had fallen unto him in pleasant places. The work of the gospel, proclaiming the grace and the glory that there was in Christ, going about, uh, making Christ known to others. His life's work. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be doing anything else. He wouldn't choose anything else. That was the path that God had given to him, that Christ had given to him, and he was uh, glad to have it. He was content 
to that, though it was a hard work, much opposition, there, there are many adversaries, but a great door and effectual was set before him. And uh, as Christ had plucked him as a brand from the burning, so he owed, owed all things to Christ, to me to live is Christ, and therefore he was happy to be used by Christ in this way. He didn't, he didn't desire, as it were, a, if you may put it like this, a time off work. He, was, he didn't uh, wish to be the, ser- the servant of Christ uh, for 16 hours of the day and have another eight hours of the day to himself. But he desired to serve Christ continually, to, to serve him with, without ceasing. He was happy that it should be so because everything that he had uh, was, came to him from Christ. You're redeemed with a price. Therefore, uh, serve the Lord with all that you have. He was happy also with the care of the church that was committed to him. Not only the preaching of the gospel, but the, the burden in a great measure of the whole church. Who, everyone who suffered uh, was in touch with Paul to, to tell him about his sufferings and to seek counsel. Moses had the whole weight of the nation of Israel hanging upon him and Paul in that way, the, the Gentile church at least, and even part of the, the Jewish church, hanging upon him. But he was content with that. I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So he didn't have any sufficiency of himself. Who is sufficient? Who, who is strong enough? But there's a sufficiency in Christ. And he was learning that he'd been learning about that sufficiency. When I am weak, then am I strong. It was when he resorted to his own strength or thought he had his own strength that he, he flagged. But when he recognized his weakness and looked to the fullness that there was in Christ, then he was supplied. And then he was, uh, uh, had, had boundless strength. I can do all things. There was no limiting him, or there was no limiting Christ. There was no limiting him when he was depending upon Christ. Because he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ. That was there as well. And yet he was content in that. He was, his, uh, uh, his, he had a, a contentment regarding the future, what lay ahead. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me at that day it's a great thing every Christian has that uh, contentment with regard to the future that's one of the great differences between the believer and the world is a a true or a well-founded contentment and Paul had that and he had a holy impatience to uh, enter into that at once or at least to depart and to be with Christ, which was far better. But again, he was content to wait God's time. He realized that he wasn't the, the, uh, the right judge in this matter, to know what was best. But it was more needful, if it was more needful to remain behind to the, for the good of the church, then he would do that in due time, with all eternity ahead for the, uh, the blessedness, the rest that remaineth for the people of God. In due time, he would go, and meantime, he would remain here and, and be useful. So, 
Paul was content, a happy life in a way. Finally then, the duty of the, the Christian to be content. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, and we are to, uh, what we've seen in him, we are to do. Well, surely the foundation of it is in the uh, peace with God. There can be no con- true contentment in the soul where there is not a reconciliation with God. How, how can it be? That's, that is your fundamental problem. That is the fundamental problem with every one of us. If we are alienated from the life of God, if we have, in effect, God as a, an adversary or an enemy, in the gospel, God is calling sinners to friendship, but if they reject that, he will appear at the last as a, an enemy, as one coming to punish sin, and he will never lay that aside, or he will not lay that aside and well, until we are reconciled to him, until such a time as we are reconciled to him, and that can only be through Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We beseech you, therefore, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's the thing by faith. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There can be no peace without that. No true rest in the soul. The, the very bottom, the, you, however, wherever you, uh, you find rest in outward things, but you go deeper. You remember death. You remember eternity. You go down to that level, and uh, there you find terror. The fear, the fear of God, that fear which has torment. But then, uh, well, we may be at peace with God and yet greatly troubled in our minds. Martha was uh, troubled about many things, much anxiety and fretting in the mind. We have to understand the, 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 the providence of God, the God of providence overruling all things. All things work together for good. To them that love God. God is ordering all things according to the counsel of his own will. If we see wickedness in the world, well, he that is higher than the highest regardeth. God is seeing this as well. And and, uh, there there is no fretting in heaven about these things. God is allowing these evil things to work out, uh, to, to work themselves to an end, to his own purposes. And if he is at peace in that matter, then we must be at peace in it too, in one way, not to fret ourselves, but to rest in him and so with the various troubles of this world and trusting in the providence of God. Paul was doing the, to supply his need, whether he was full, whether he was hungry, whether he was abounding, whether he was suffering need. Well, making his requests known unto God. That's that's before the use of means or along with the use of means, not once once the means have failed, then make your requests known unto God, but uh, at the very time, instantly, continuing instant in prayer. The God is ready in these matters. He's not a... If he, if he doesn't 
uh, supply or if he delays, there's a purpose in it. It may be a purpose of chastisement. You have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss. You may consume it upon your lusts. There may be something there, something in the, uh, in the heart, some reason why the good thing is being withheld. Well, there may be something else. God, God may have some quite other purpose in mind. We don't know. His, as we had this morning, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts than our thoughts. We don't know what God, why, why God uh, does things. Paul, Paul we, we don't know beforehand. Paul and Silas were in the jail in Philippi. Was this not a, a, blow, a blow to the gospel? Not at all. It was a, a step forward in the establishing of the Christian church in Philippi. God's ways, we all know that. We know if we look back in our own lives, we can see all, all the way that the Lord has led us and how often it's through things at, at, at which we complained at first. We fretted. We were not at all pleased when, a, when such a thing happened to us. It wasn't, it wasn't what we would have chosen for ourselves. But looking back, well, the wisdom of God, the folly of man, what do we have to be seeking in all these things is, is our present duty. What, what ought I to be doing? The Lord has put, put me in this situation. In one way, it's not a, not a situation I would have chosen for myself. But here I am in the providence of God. What, what am I to do? The eye, the eye of the Lord is upon me. He has all power in heaven and in earth. He could do anything. And he's chosen to do this. And now his eye is upon me. And what am I to do? Well, I'm to look to him for direction. I'm to look to him for strength. And I know, I, I know if I'm a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I've been trained in this matter, I know, I know what to do. And that is always to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to seek the glory of God. How, how am I to seek the glory of God? How am I to seek the good of my fellow men? That's my present duty. And that's the, it's that that brings the, the peace, the contentment to the Christian. He's in the path of duty. Who can be content when he's out of the path of duty? When the voice of conscience is going to be troubling him? Paul exercised himself to have a conscience void of offense before God and before his fellow men because if a conscience isn't void of offense, it's going to be uh, troubling the heart. And who can be at rest then? What is my, what is my uh, present duty? And what are my uh, expectations? That's a great part of it. Uh, le- learning to be content. What am I to expect from this world? Well, Paul had been told what he was to expect, and that was that I must show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he wasn't going to, to expect comfort in this world, <coughs> nor, nor did he deserve it. We are less than the least of all God's mercies. If, if he gives us one good thing, that's more than we deserve truly. What are we to expect? Well, we're not to, we're to, we're not to expect great things from this world. We're to set our hearts on things above. We have your treasure in heaven. Use this world as not abusing it. 
use it, yes, you're allowed, as it were, you're called to whatsoever thine hand finds it to do, do it with thy might. The Lord sets opportunities before you, lawful opportunities before you. Engage in those things by all means. Engage in them lawfully. That is in the fear of the Lord. And, uh, with the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost given unto you. That's the only way that we could lawfully do anything in this world. But not to go beyond that. Not to covet the things of this world. To be as a weaned child with regard to this world, as the psalmist says. That this, this world is not the happiness of the believer. It's not, it's not here that you're going to find your happiness. That's where men go wrong. Countless multitudes, the whole world goes wrong on that matter. Having forsaken God, they look to creation for their happiness. And creation wasn't made in that way to, to supply the needs of man or the, the, the full needs of man. It's there to supply his outward needs, but it's not there to supply his spiritual needs at all. It is not a God, it's simply creation to be used for the end for which it was created. And God is the one who will supply the spiritual needs, feed the soul, fill the soul, satisfy the soul. So we must have, if we're to be content, we must have, if we may say, realistic views of the world and what the what, what pleasure or happiness we may expect from this world, from employment or anything else in the world. We have to learn to be content. Paul had learned a long lesson, we suppose, but he was there. But we have to learn as well, line upon line, looking into our own hearts. Well, see the, see the need for contentment. See the sin that arises from uh, discontentment. What are we to do? Well, we're to go to Christ. We're to fight, be reconciled to God. You're to be reconciled to God through Christ, through the death of Christ, and you're to live through Christ. The life, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. O oh Lord, help us to learn the lessons from thy word, to consider our own hearts before thee, to see how far short we fall in all these matters, how much uh, discontent and uh, fretfulness and unholy anger we have to uh, confess before thee, the wrath of man that worketh not the righteousness of God. Teach us to be looking to uh, Paul and to Christ in these matters, to be followers of thy beloved Son, imitators of him, and uh, following Paul even as he also followed Christ. May we be looking to ourselves uh, and uh, examine our, ourselves in the light of thy word. Take our hearts off this world. May we learn to use it to write. May we live light to it, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and running our race with patience, looking unto Jesus. Bless this Sabbath day. Help us to thank thee for it. And pardon our sins for Christ's sake. 
Amen.